just start to create even just topics for webinars, create the presence, show that you're a company that has a lot more depth than the, than the few features that you currently have. Because what the product you currently have uh, that has a set of features is not the product you're going to have in five years. So you got to start projecting what, where you're going to be uh, and what you're trying to build because that's going to get people to connect with you. to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Asaf, welcome to the show. Now, you are all the way in Tel Aviv out of Israel, and I'm keen to have you on today because, one, I've known you for years. I followed your journey. Um, I like the way you approach things. I've seen your content on LinkedIn. So I'm really keen today to dig into a few things that I think the industry does need to hear. But before we do that, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So please walk us through where you started and where you are now. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, thanks so much, Carissa. Thanks so much for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, I've been knowing each other for uh, a long time. And I'm glad we can uh, finally get to uh, uh, do this. So uh, I, I started my, my career in cyber, uh, like many Israelis, in the, uh, I joined the Israeli Air Force. Uh, and uh, basically, uh, it wasn't called cybersecurity at the time. It was really just the beginning. And they were just looking for people who kind of knew how to deal with, you know, <laughs> basically computers not working, right? So uh, from there, you know, it was a really amazing opportunity for an 18-year-old to, uh, you know, basically figure out how to, uh, you know, how, how to, you know, approach information security problems, cybersecurity problems. And, uh, you know, as a, probably as a testament to that, uh, a lot of the people that were with me at the time are now founders, CEOs, and have created uh, very impressive companies like, you know, SafeBreach or uh, most recently uh, Cider Security. Um, you know, you know, both founders were uh, uh, we were in the same unit, so you know, it was a really great opportunity to kind of understand and and learn and figure things out on your own and deal with budgets that you know in no in no shape or form would you know such <laughs> young group of people would manage. And then uh, uh, for me, I didn't want to kind of continue directly with the cybersecurity path. And uh, shortly after I left the army, and kind of, I kind of want to get into education. I was always really big about uh, you know what education can do and how you know the impact that it can have on people's lives and and, and people's views. And I was uh, you know very very disappointed from. Almost every institution, every education system that I took part of. So um, I moved to Australia in 2013, and I really wanted to get into uh, that. Was kind of when the time with all the whole e-learning and MOOCs and courses, if you remember, kind of really boomed, and I wanted to get involved in that. And I was fortunate enough to join as the I think probably eighth or ninth employee of a company called uh, Dusser, and the the premise was. Uh, pretty similar to what uh, uh, you know, masterclass is doing, where you can really learn from from experts. And I joined as a CEO, uh, and you know, I, we grew quite uh, quite rapidly. And Carissa, I really thought that I'm going to be dealing with education most of the time. But I, you know, when a company grows so fast, most of your day goes into sales and marketing. Yeah, and, and look, to be honest, like it was never something that I took interest in. Uh, I never wanted to get into sales. I never wanted to get in. I, I had no interest in this, but I had to figure it out. Right? It was, you know, that's, if you want to grow a business, you have to know, you know, what's going on. And we had really great people to, to help us with this, but obviously I needed to understand what's going on. And I remember one day uh, when it was still all sort of like really blurry to me, I, I took, uh, I, I was in some sort of a lecture that was talking about uh, storytelling in education. You know, one of the approaches of how to make education more interesting is, you know, combined storytelling. And then I think somewhere in the same week, I went to a marketing uh, course because I was educating myself and they were talking about storytelling. And then it was like a, a, sort of an aha moment. I was like, well, you know, it's really the same thing. Like marketing and education, it's, you know, that's, that's how it really should be done. Uh, I remember that uh, moment because I was like, okay, 
you know, we really need to rethink how we approach things uh, because we were selling to universities, we we're selling to students, we we're selling, you know, there's a lot of activities there. And that, that sort of, you know, created this snowball effect for me when I really started looking at education and marketing as, uh, as really being, uh, you know, the same, the same thing and the go-to tool for uh, everything that I've done. And uh, since then, I've created a, a, a cybersecurity education company where we created content for universities, for uh, institutions who wanted to teach cybersecurity and didn't have the materials. So we created that and um, a lot of the uh, materials were acquired by, by universities in Australia and the US. And uh, a, a few years uh, later, I created and I wanted to get into uh, telemedicine uh, and we saw medicine cannabis uh, it was booming around 2015, 2016. So, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of how big I was on, you know, education being the the foray for marketing, I started a company called uh, Canvalate, which is uh, today's uh, a telemedicine platform for uh, for patients to access medicinal cannabis and a research institution and um, uh, a little bit of an investment fund uh, at the moment. All of that started with a conference company uh, and courses company that I created around medicinal cannabis. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to get into, the, into that space and my way to get into that space was just to start educating the market. And immediately it not only taught me a, a whole lot of things, but it just sort of positioned me as sort of one of the go-to people in Australia at the time uh, because I just knew everyone. And I, you know, I got to, I got to access everyone. And every time I wanted to sell something, it was, you know, is through education. So, uh, that's sort of been the journey up until COVID. And for me, COVID was, uh, for, for my family, as I said, I moved to Australia in 2013. And for me, my family, 2020 was sort of a pivotal point where, you know, we kind of needed to uh, decide where, whether we're going to be staying in Australia. Uh, you know, COVID hit. It was a period of a lot of uncertainty. So we said, okay, let's just, you know, pack our things and move to Israel for, for a while. It could be closer to the families, uh, you know, being in a, in a lockdown in Melbourne was, uh, you know, less than ideal. <laughs> you don't even have access, you didn't even have access to playgrounds and, and all that. So we spent uh, some time in Israel and uh, here in Israel, uh, I started consulting to uh, sort of back to the roots, uh, working with a lot of my friends in, in, who own and run cybersecurity uh, companies as vendors. And, uh, you know, you just kind of see the same things. You just see the same issues around how, you know, how vendors now approach sales, how they approach marketing, how it's all sort of the same techniques from about 20 years ago, how when you have uh, technical founders who are absolutely phenomenal in what they're doing, you know, have the complete opposite experience when it comes to actually selling their, you know, their, their product. So what do they do uh, these days in the last uh, two and a half years is uh, we're working with uh, vendors to help them to accelerate their sales process, build their marketing team, build their demand generation processes. And uh, it's been absolutely amazing. Wow. I love that. I like um, I like the story, how you spoke around when you're working at Deser, the sales and marketing component of it, because I think a lot of people just assume that they build a product, they don't have to do anything in terms of sales and marketing. I think it's this fallacy that people buy into a lot because their product's excellent and it may be excellent, but it may not be at the point where people are going to hear about it necessarily. So you mentioned before about some of the same old things that people do. What are those same old things that people are doing? So, you know, it's uh, firstly, what you just said is is super important because it's a it's a philosophical difference between what is a product you know the way that that people see products and the way that the market sees your product you think of your product as you know as your software as your tool as whatever it is that you coded and delivering the market sees your product as your company your content your leaders your views your philosophy do or don't they buy into your your philosophy as a business as a business leader? And what I think that there's too little emphasis on is bringing in that part 
especially very early on, when your product is clunky and it fails and you don't really know how to sell and you don't really know how to you know, like really speak to your audience, uh, there's too little investment in, look, this is what we're trying to do. This is, we think that this is wrong and, and, and we're working to create a world where this doesn't need to happen or where people don't do this, especially, you know, if you're developing an AI-based tool or, you know, decision support mechanisms and anything that will bring in efficiency, there's usually a philosophy around, you know, what people should be doing and what machines should be doing. And I think there's too little emphasis on expressing that because that could really open up doors for people, you know, nodding when you talk about that and then say, okay, well, you know, what else you got to tell? Now I want to hear about your product because now I agree with you. And, and I, you don't really see that level of authenticity in a lot of startups. You just see like, you know, hey, you know, we have developed this feature and that feature and this is better than that vendor. And, you know, all that is fine, but you just, you know what I mean? Why do you think that's the case though? I would think as a founder of a startup, you'd be more authentic. So I'm curious to hear like why people aren't being authentic. Well, it's, well first, it's a good question. I think it's just a matter of, how people perceive the reasons why people do business with people and why, you know, and how, how this purchasing procurement decisions are being made. You know, we tend to think that if we, you know what, it's even a, it's even a question of how, how much you stretch your thinking, right? If you build your product trying to be 20% better than what's in the market, it's very different to I'm building the product, my product so that that area would not, even be, you know, would not even exist, right? You know, th- think of think of cars. You used to need, you used to need to know how to really run the engine and operate the engine of the car. No one knows how to do that anymore. I don't think I've opened my hood in you know since I bought my first car, right? So so things really change. In uh, so why do people, you know, why do people want uh, or don't really think about authenticity? I think it just they just don't really understand the the difference that this could make in their business if people buy into their philosophy before they buy into you know the actual uh the actual product i was interviewing uh, a founder of uh of a company called uh trellis ai and uh i was asking a bunch of founders you know i gave them the challenge like if you had to start a business right now and you're trying to sell the businesses and you wanted to validate your idea within uh, 30 days and you had no money, no product, and no team, what would you do? And the first thing that he said was, I would, build, I would build a vision. I would try to get people to buy into my vision because when they buy, when people buy into your vision, they're going to work with you to try and fulfill it. And uh, I, thought, I thought it was very, very clever because that's how, you know, th- that's what you lead with. And I, and I think that's probably the, the, main, uh, the, the main difference. Now, now, why do people actually don't sort of lead with that and continue to pump with that? Well, it's probably because the results are not as immediate as in when you put out an ad somewhere and you can see the number of clicks and you know number of leads and number of demos that, that you're doing. That's much more immediate than to say, well, you know, I've spoken in these 12 conferences and 20 podcasts and, you know, I've sort of said the same thing uh, and preached it all over. And then wait the whatever 30 to 180 days until you start hearing back from people. Hey, you know, I've heard you over there. I really agree with what you said about, you know, why compliance should be managed this way or why, uh, you know, CMSOX should be, you know, you know operating that way. Um, so if I had to summarize it, it's probably a matter of patience and, uh, and, 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 and immediacy. Yeah, there's a lot in there that you said. So one of the things I'm curious to know, if people are not buying into a philosophy or a vision, what are they buying into then? How are people selling their product just on technicality, functionality? Yeah, well, unfortunately, yeah. So when you look at, uh, if, you, if you look at the, the, the typical sales process of, uh, of most vendors, here's what it looks like. You, have, you usually have an SDR uh, doing an outreach through some sort of an automation tool or you know, buying lists or you know, just blasting. Every CISO they can they get the, the name of or you know, or directors, and you know once in a while they're going to get an appointment and they're going to hit their 
their monthly quarters, and uh, and then you know and they're going to be facing the the, the ISO, and uh, and they're going to be trying to to show them, hey, you know, what do you try to find the problem, try to see what they're using in the moment. It's like, hey, here's what you do in the moment. Here's what we can do, be doing better. And uh, and then the, basically the, sale, the general sales cycle of uh, you know chasing them, trying to get the PO, trying to negotiate a deal, and then chasing and chasing and chasing. That's usually that's kind of like the typical B two B cycle, especially very early on. And uh, uh, and I think it's pretty frustrating, you know, uh, to be to be in that situation. No, oh, it's beyond frustrating. And it's just so, oh, I feel bored, like the whole process is just wrong. So, okay, look, you're obviously very direct when it comes to this. I'm incredibly direct. So I'm just curious to know, like, why do people keep doing this? Like, I've been saying this for years, we've got to change our strategy, but yet people feel the need to do the same stuff, which isn't even that effective anymore. This is what gets me. So I want to know from you with all the... All the experiences that you've had, especially where you are in, you know, your side of the world, there's cybersecurity like pop-ups on every corner where you are. So I'm curious to know, like, what should people stop doing immediately as in after they hear this and what can they start doing? So I think, you know, if we kind of want to talk, uh, you know, bottom up, right, to start to fix the things from uh, probably the, the symptoms and going to the core. Right. So the first thing is, if if what I've just described is what you're doing, then you gotta you gotta have you gotta stop having these weak opens. And what I mean by that is you've done you've gone through all the trouble and you've you know you got yourself an appointment with a, or a demo with a with a CISO, and you're putting in front of them your, the SDR or the account executive, basically the most junior person that is in your company, because you're thinking about efficiency rather than uh, efficacy. Uh, you've already got the time of someone who is incredibly busy and, you know, is a very well-paid individual and they're giving you 15, 20, 30 minutes and and you're putting in front of them someone that they can immediately see through their lack of professionalism when, you know, when they're talking like, you know, CISOs are very technical and very sophisticated and very direct people. They really don't have that time. So uh, I think that especially if you're, A, if you're early on, and B, if something's not really working, you got to have very senior people on the call. Uh, founders, you know, product owners, product directors, uh, just open as strongly as you can. You know, make a really good first impression. Make them feel like they've actually uh, received some value. Uh, and I see that. I see that all the time. When there's a founder going on a call, on a sales call, the, the, the ISO goes, oh, wow, oh, congratulations on all this success, you know, uh, amazing. Like you can see the approach changes just by having, so, you know, uh, I think I think that's probably very, very important. And to think that it's probably not feasible for you to go on 10, 15 sales calls because you have better things to do. Uh, I think that in these, in these days specifically, uh, I, I would, I would, I would seriously question whether you actually have more important things to do. If the sales mechanism is not working, what else is more important? So that's that's probably number one. Uh, secondly, what they uh, should start, uh, we should stop doing and should start doing instead is they should stop try to, try to outsource their demand generation, content strategy, whatever. That just, that just doesn't work. I'll give you an example uh, that I've heard from... Uh, from uh, uh, one of the clients, they've outsourced the creation of a piece of content through an institution, a very well-known institution that paid tens of thousands of dollars to create a content piece that have actually, that's actually generated them with hundreds of leads, right? So on paper, really good, like marketing outcome, you know, cost per lead was lower than the average, but the content itself and the content itself, had, you know, was probably somewhat interesting. However, uh, that has led to literally zero demos, like zero sales call, right, from these hundreds of leads. And when I ask that kind of internally within the company, like, what did you like? I, asked, I just, I just I chose random people from the company. I asked them, what did you like most about this content piece? And most people didn't know what I was talking about. 
because it wasn't interesting, right? It was written by someone else. It was completely outsourced. People didn't even remember that it was created. Uh, and if they did, they remembered, you know, some, something very, very mild, right? Um, the, the real content, the real philosophy, the real things that you can say that will make people connect with you are within the company are inside like the corridors in your meetings around in your product meetings in your sales calls in your you know slack channel the, these are the things that you know, that you talk about internally the insights that you're gathering the understanding that your company already has on the market the things that you think that are fundamentally wrong in the industry these are the things that you should talk about these are the things that you should be promoting you know it should not be a game of you know how can i find 20 writers who's going to produce, you know, three articles per day. So that I'm going to win the SEO play that just, that shit doesn't work, you know? So, you know, start, you know, it's uncomfortable to start putting yourself out there, you know, as, as you know, and I've been following your journey, uh, I think probably from, from the start and uh, with admiration, because I'm just now starting to do this for myself, for my, for my own business. Uh, but, but I've always been doing this for my companies. But, so I know it's like putting yourself out there is, is hard. But you got to be thinking about this as a product. Uh, 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 when I'm saying this, I'm, I'm, I mean demand generation, the content that you put out there in order pe- for people to connect with you. It's, it's a product. It's an asset that you're building. It's a following. And, uh, and it takes time. And it takes time in tweaking. But if you're going to continue to try to create content for some algorithm, uh, you know, it's 2022, these days are gone. You know, this is the TikTok period where algorithms are very, very good at finding what interests people. And uh, uh, and that's going to come into Google very, 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 very uh, soon. Uh, so that's the second thing. And probably the third thing that I think of is that people just don't understand, specifically, you know, this is a cybersecurity podcast. So let's talk about CISOs. But if you're trying to sell to the CISO specifically, then you have to understand the the reality that the CISO lives in. They are usually they're pro- they're usually the only ones who show up to the board meeting, and they don't have like a dollar value uh, analysis of their budgetary re- requests. Usually, they come in with their you know green, yellow, red charts, and like here, it's really hard for a CISO to quantify. The, you know, the impact of every investment that they're asking for. And they're always asking for investments. And that's why most of the projects that, uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if most, but the sort of the feedback that I'm getting that uh, for some sizes, most of the projects that they're proposing are being rejected or being, you know, not, not prioritized for the immediate, you know, couple of quarters, which is kind of like rejecting it. And uh, so that's a very challenging and very frustrating point for, for a ISO to be in. So if you're a vendor, and you don't know how to add, how to quantify, you know, in a way that's reliable and how the, you know, the ROI on your product, then you're going to have a really hard time getting the ear of a, of a CISO. Uh, there's companies today who become really good at uh, uh, accurately quantifying them. Uh, there's, uh, you know, quantifying cybersecurity risk, which is a sort of an up and coming area specifically you can look at uh, cover kov double r uh disclosure their client but uh, kind of giving them as an example of uh uh of someone who, who focuses on saying okay if you if you implement this solution this could reduce your risk by 27 million dollars on average in the next five years right so, so if so you you as a vendor need to help the CISA to facilitate a business conversation within their, their board. Otherwise, your product is just not going to get any um, any traction. Yeah, those are good points. I think um, I think going back on the content being outsourced, so I think, like, for example, KBI Digital does this for clients. One of the things that I've seen in my years is that you do the client, they, when you write content, it's not really about you. It's what other people get from the value. And I often see it's, very salesy it's all about them which doesn't really add any value to someone like viewing the content so i think to some level you do need that objective opinion but not just anyone i think also having the background in cyber uh really helps uh with companies and knowing like what the buying cycles like the type of people the caliber of people how they buy how they interact 
um, rather than perhaps like a generic sort of company that really has no idea about the industry. Um, so I think that that's that side of it um, that I've seen a difference because, you know, I, I look at this type of stuff all day and I just some of the stuff that I see, it's just like, you're making it all about you. Like no one cares. But if you talk about the value that your company does provide, that's where it changes the game. And so I think that a lot of people are so focused inwardly on themselves and their own company that they forget that they're actually there to provide a service or product. And so that's something I think people get wrapped up a lot. And that's some of the failures that I've seen in my time from companies that still happens today. Um, so yes, I do, I do get your point um, to a certain level. Yeah, maybe, maybe I would uh, clarify because this is, uh, you know, you, when I talk about outsourcing, you should definitely outsource the execution of, uh, of a lot of the content creation, but the strategy and the, and the support needs to come from senior leadership. Otherwise, it's going to be like, how hard would that be? You know, if a vendor just comes to you and say, hey, Carissa, can you just generate for us 100 pieces of content for, for next year? Thanks, bye. You know, whatever your fee is, we're going to pay it, but, and then never talk to you and just like ask for a report once a month. You know, that's. Yeah, that, so that would be worrying because I mean, there's, look, it's probably a whole interview on this, but I think that you've got to, you've got to ask people like, okay, what is your vision? What are you planning to do? How are you procuring clients at the moment? Uh, understanding like what they're currently doing and then as well you need to sort of you need to adapt to how they operate what are the types of conversations that are happening in their meetings with clients what are some of the objections that they're getting all those types of things go into an overall strategy just to say oh here's some content and good luck and never see you ever again that's not a good way of approaching it either but I also think but a P, especially as a technical founder, I don't think a lot of people think on that level either. They don't even know about a marketing strategy. They don't know where to start, what questions to ask. There's a whole process around getting and obtaining that information. It's once you ask people quite pointed questions, they'll answer it, but they don't. it's not a conscious decision, so to speak, that they would like wake up in the morning and go, oh, now I'm going to generate a marketing and sales strategy. I just don't think it's front of mind for them. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because one of the things that I that I work with uh, with clients is, you know, before you start broadcasting, you gotta you gotta start receiving. You gotta open your antennas. Like, how are you getting market insights right now? And uh, you know, I'll give you a hint: it's not on your CRM. It's on communities, uh, you know, Slack channels, Discord, Facebook group, wherever wherever it is that your customers are actually hanging out. Uh, and they don't have to talk about you. They don't ha- necessarily have to talk about, you know, don't look for people who are talking about your specific, you know, how, you know, how do you solve the, uh, you know, this compliance automation issue? Like how, do, it's not necessarily that. It's whatever it is that matters to them. And how can you, that's, that's going to give you a ton of ideas of how you can weave your story into their world. And if you don't have any of these antennas open, then doesn't really matter like anything that you it's it's just kind of like talking without listening it's literally like just imagine we have this conversation right now and i'm just talking and you know i'm not hearing your questions so you know what what are the chances of me being interesting and it's really the same thing so you know if you and 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 again i definitely uh do not recommend for especially if this is the first time the first year that you're literally producing content i think that you should be using some sort of an outsourced agency to execute on that. But it needs to be on your priority uh, list to say, okay, this is a channel that can help me understand more about my, my customers. It can help me be in the places where decisions are actually being made, which is not on your website. You know, your, your customers, when they see your ad or when they see your website or your business card in, a, in an event uh, and they're, in, they're interested, they're going to go to their WhatsApp group their CISOs, WhatsApp groups, say, hey, have you heard of these guys? And whatever it is that they're here on, in these channels or, or in a Slack channel, whatever, whatever it is they're here in these channels, that's what's going to dictate whether they're going to want to talk to you or buy from you. It's not how well, you know, you know, we don't live in a world where, you know, you got to have the absolute best copywriter to hook them in the very minute that the, this is not like an e-commerce play, you know, impulse buy. Uh, which is, by the way, which is a really, really good thing if you're not super confident about how you talk. Because in B two B, people have 
like dozens and dozens of opportunities to get an impression of you rather than having this, you know, sort of an ad to a website and then you have like four seconds to press them and, and get their email. It's not that world anymore. So, uh, and, I, and I take comfort in this. So, so yes, absolutely outsource your, your, the execution of this, but put that in, the, in your priority, become a part of, you know, of the communities where people are actually talking about. This is insanely, insanely important. And um, you know what? Here, here's like a quick uh, uh, story. If one of the things that you see these days is that there's the cost of advertising are just through the roof. Uh, I see this on almost all, all social platforms and LinkedIn specifically is insane. You could be paying $30 for a click, like 30 for a click, you know, if you convert one in a hundred, it's insane, right? Yeah, that's wild. That's like more than Google now. It, yeah, exactly. Uh, which, you know, kudos for them, but like who wants to pay that? So instead, like, you know, when you when you put out a, poll, a post, uh, how much engagement do you get? Insane, right? It's probably got, got to be in the tens of thousands in the very least of people viewing this. And that's free. It's a lot less nowadays. I've noticed that over the years. I think 2017, 18 was when LinkedIn was at its real prime. And then Microsoft bought it and I saw a massive sort of decline. But then it's always hard to tell, right? Like sometimes if they're tinkering with it, it it's good, then it's bad. I think it's got to be consistent. Yeah. Uh, but here's this. Okay, so I, I read... Uh... Uh, I read a book called uh, B2B LinkedIn Content Marketing by some agency that, uh, that, that wrote it. I, 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 read, I read a lot in, in this space and I stumbled upon this book. I really liked it. It was really simple and I decided to buy it, uh, to gift it to uh, some of my clients. So I bought it, uh, I bought it, arrived home and I posted on LinkedIn. I, I, you know, I gave a shout out to the, to the two authors. And so I literally tagged them, right? So immediately a connection that was built and they saw it, I saw it in the morning that they, uh, you know, said, th thanks for the shout out. So you can literally access anyone that you want if the context is right. It doesn't cost you anything and they're going to immediately see it. Like, isn't it insane that I could, I could tag Richard Branson in a post and he'll see it? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's insane. I think people misuse that though. At times, and it comes across disingenuous. But I, yes, one hundred percent, I do agree with it. Social media is powerful. I don't know why more people in our space don't use it. That's what gets me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another interesting thing is, you know, when you try to connect to a to a Cisos world, if you just look at, you know, they don't only talk about or you know talk about Cisos, but I'm giving them as an example. But anyone that you kind of try to connect with, they don't only talk about their space. You know, there's there's like general things that are happening in, you know, the, we just had you know, Pride Week and every contemporary things is currently on the news, people engage with. That's just a part of what people do. You don't, you, you can, you can broaden your understanding, just view LinkedIn, if, you, if we're talking specifically about LinkedIn, view it as just like this one big conference where everyone that you possibly want to talk to is already hanging out there and you can just be there and, and have conversations with people. And at some point, obviously, your business is going to to come up. Well, I think it's the patience, though. So, for example, if you've been around five seconds as a startup, you're just not going to get the traction like an IBM has. They've been around for years. They've got big budgets. They're well-known commodity. And this is where I think, again, people are a bit deluded in the fact that, oh, you know, I've done some rudimentary marketing. Like, where are my sales? It's like, yeah, but one You've been around not very long. You don't really have a trusted brand. That takes time. How long it takes, who knows? Could take years or tens of hundreds of years or whatever it may be, right? So I think that's a hard question to answer. But there's also a myriad of reasons as to why people don't buy your product. You don't explain it is another, like the amount of people that come to me and say, oh, I spoke to X vendor, don't really know what they do, couldn't be bothered to hard basket next. They complicate things. I remember years ago, I was speaking to this guy at a vendor and, and then this other guy I was with me and he goes, just keep it high level, keep it high level. Next minute, we're talking about fiber optic cables in the ground and I'm like, what? How do we get here? Like straight away, this was in like the first 30 seconds we got there and that is a very common thing that happens. So 
this is why, I mean, there's so many, re- maybe your product is not that great. Maybe it doesn't integrate very well. Maybe uh, your sales guy is not great. Maybe your price point's too high. Like who knows, right? And so I think that the way I ex- describe marketing is if you start marketing, and I'm not saying you have to go ridiculous to start doing things small. It's like the lottery. Like you're more likely to win the lottery if you buy more tickets versus just one. But you've got to start. Well, I like the analogy, but I like the chances of doing marketing way better than winning the lottery. But but you know what? But you know what? Here's a here's a a small hack. So yes, absolutely. If you're an unknown brand, it's going to be really hard for anyone to. Uh, to connect with you and your outreach is not going to be really successful. So here's a little thing that you can do. And again, just understanding the psychology of how people respond, right? So think of what happens when uh, when any, you know, when a CISO or I keep bringing CISOs up, but when, when, you're, when your uh, client sees an outreach from you, what's the first thing that they do? Do they immediately respond? No, they, they go to your company's LinkedIn page to try to check you out. They might want to, you know, search for something. And there are actually some really easy ways to show that you are, you know, to kind of, that they can buy into your philosophy without you even talking about. So here's a quick hack, right? So, so if, if you don't even know what you're going to be talking about, you can just create now like 10, whatever, 10, five to 10 future webinars and all you have to do is just put on the title in, a, in, a, in an image of what you're going to be covering, right? And if this resonates with your potential buyer, then from their point of view, they'll be like, well, I've never heard of you, but it seems like you're talking about things that are interesting to me. That's going to improve the response rate of your SDRs tremendously because it's all of a sudden, it's not like, hey, you know, you want to buy my product that you never heard of. Uh, it's going to go to, you know, hey, can we talk to you about this? So that's number one. Number two, it also gives your SDRs another reason to connect with them that is not directly sort of bottom of funnel. I want, let's go on a demo and a sales call. So, you know, that's a quick hack without having like a massive investment in content. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that for some, for a space that's quote unquote cutting edge, I feel like we're not that cutting edge when it comes to sales and marketing. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. So I, I'm curious to hear. So you mentioned sizos a lot. So I would say, and I mean, we know this. Everyone knows this that they feel wrung out from everyone calling them up, like messaging them, like probably stalking their house just for to get them to have five minutes with them. This is I don't know about the stalking part, but the other things are definitely reality. So what are some alternative options? that people can start doing today to get through to CISOs, if you wouldn't mind sharing that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, I've got a, a quote, uh, you know, Gong, uh, Gong Io, the uh, sales, uh, they're like a sales coaching and enablement software doing amazingly well, went from like uh, inception to an 8 billion valuation very, very quickly. I read that, uh, yeah, and there's a group that one of the founders who was like, you know, obviously he's probably, you know, a billionaire at the moment, uh, but he's in a Facebook group that helps, uh, uh, that helps startups. And uh, someone asked him, like, what do you do very early on? And even they said, look, to get the first, uh, uh, the, to get the first clients, you have to screen, beg, do whatever it is that you need to do in order to get the first clients. It's, uh, you know, pull whatever tricks you have. It's a hustle game. So um, I think firstly, just to set the expectation, there's always going to need, you're always going to need a level of hustle, right? Um, but, you know, that said, I think that, you know, what I mentioned just uh, just before around, just start to create even just topics for webinars, create the presence, show that you're a company that has a lot more depth than the, than the few features that you currently have. Because what the product you currently have uh, that has a set of features is not the product you're going to have in five years. So you got to start projecting what where you're going to be uh, and what you're trying to build because that's going to get people to connect with you. That's just going to change things so much for you. Um, and then lastly, remember that the, the CISO is 
it's very, very challenging. They're the only one who's coming into the board meeting without, uh, without numbers. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of like a gross estimation, but, uh, but they're the ones who keep showing up with the yellow, orange, uh, uh, red charts. And it's and a lot of their projects get rejected, which is really frustrating. They don't want they don't want you to become another project that they proposed and got rejected. They don't. So you gotta kind of listen in and work with them to build the case study. And if you feel that the case study is not strong enough, then you can just call it out and say, hey, you know what? I I don't necessarily feel that what we have to offer suits you right now. Do you mind if we talk more a little bit about your operations and see where else could it add value? Um, this, you know, it changes the conversation. By the way, in general, in sales, your job is not to push your your solution. Your your job is to find a problem, and to, and to, in, if your solution is an actual solution, then you gotta, you know, then you then you wanna sell it. But if your job is not to push, and your job you, your job is to help them, and when you make it about them, it just changes the conversation entirely. Most definitely, I totally I totally agree with you there. Would you say from your experience that technical founders in companies, yes, just so hypothetically, they've got a great product, but would you say that sales and marketing is probably the thing they think about the least slash the last thing that they think about at all? I think in general, you know, in general, people don't like sales and they don't like marketing. They just kind of see it as the same thing. They kind of see it as something that they go, oh, you know, we wrote the business plan and oh, we need to allocate some money for marketing is sort of i think they uh, there's a level of discomfort because you know it it's easier to write code you know that's just the reality um and i think they miss out on the insights that you can actually get by doing this process properly and the compounding value that you get from this so i think that in general people just don't like to do that to do these things you know just you know plain and simple uh, and they, they haven't been taught that. They just see this as sort of a marginal part of their business. Uh, that's, that's probably why we see these things. I get that. I guess it's just more so like no one, I mean, there are people who like sales, but I would say majority of people probably don't. But then you don't really have a business. So marketing chums the water, right, to get fish to come to you. And then sales is like catching the fish, for example. So what do you if people think they're not doing that you don't really have a business this is what i'm curious about because this is like i said it's that whole build it and they will come do you think that that's still quite a strong stigma in our space and then if so how do we change that conversation it's really interesting uh i think that we have you know there's two types of founders right there's the ones who have who come from the industry and their network is so wide and, you know, when they go to investors and they pitch their product or they've already done this, like just in, like naturally, they already, they can already point out, point to five, seven, 20 people that will buy it as soon as they build it. So they, they just naturally do it because they come from within the industry. I've met a few of them. And uh, it's interesting because they do marketing without understanding that they're doing marketing. All they do is like, yeah, you know, I talked to uh, this guy who's like, he's a size of here and, and she's a size of there. And, and they, you know, and, and they just gain the, the insights. And you can just see that they're involved in any part, in every part of the sales process. You know, after the first few sales, they're the ones who are ringing up and or showing up in their uh, clients' uh, 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 offices to kind of see how... Like they just do the, the, all the things that marketing should be doing because they, they just are so embedded within the industry. And then you have the others who, uh, who are not from the industry and they thought that, you know, it, this could be a solution that, you know, uh, the cybersecurity space would need. And, uh, and, and I think they just invest too little time in building that network. It's not that you can't do it. And there's, you know, there's plenty of, examples of how founders who were not from an industry came in and, and, you know, really kicked ass, but it's, but but there's a process of building your network and and opening the antennas so that you can get the right insights is what I think people kind of not doing enough. And, you know, I don't know if there's. Mm. So then what are they doing then all day? So I get like, you've got to build your product and you've got to do all that. I get that. But then, 
if that's all you want to do, go and work for someone else then. Like, this is what I don't get. Like, or else no one's going to sit there and come down from the sky and say, here you go, here's a bucket of money. Maybe if they're well-connected. If they're not, which most people, if they leave a company, and this is what I say to people, just say you're working in the biggest company in town that's amazing. As soon as you go out on your own, it'll change. People won't want to know you then. You'll have to earn your stripes because you're not valuable to them. It's okay when you're, I've sat on a client side. People want to know you because they want to sell to you. But then when you're, you're selling to other people, that's where the, the, the tables turn, right? And then you've got to sort of earn your stripes again because you're on the other side of the coin. This is where I think people are really confused. Um, yeah, I think, so I like to take ownership and responsibility. I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of the fault is in the marketing industry. It's really hard if you're not, if you're not a marketer, it's really hard for, to you to know, for you to know what to do, right? So let's say I'm a technical founder. I know how to build a product. We've built it. And I'm like, okay, I now need to figure out this marketing and sales thing. Like, what do I do? And then you speak. So what do you do? You speak to an agency. And the agency will basically, uh, you know, I'm not here to kind of offend any, any agency. But in many cases, what you're going to get is, you know what? You should be doing SEO, right? Here's do SEO and we're going to target these keywords and blah, blah, blah. Or you should be doing this page camp. And there's kind of like a, a bucket of services you start to invest in thinking that you're doing the right thing. But the problem is that you're not doing these things in the right order. Uh, and you try and... Yeah, it's the, or it's the cadence. It's the order. Exactly. It's because they're not from the industry. What would they know? They probably... They, this is what gets me about... You're so right. Sorry, I'm so passionate about it. Like... It's like, what would this person know when they've never sold anything in this space? And this space, this space is not like selling widgets. Um, you need to really know it to really do well in it or else it's hard. It's really complex. It, yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, it's like, okay, so we inherently look for, so, for shortcuts because we don't like to do the hustle and the hard things. So, you know, I've seen... I've seen sales teams scale up way too quickly before there's a proof that, you know, the offer actually converts. And I've seen companies investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in SEO before they even know what kind of traffic they want to get. And what is the, so, you know, and look, because there's so much, uh, what's called gunpowder, like, you know, there's so much money out there and, the access to fund has been insanely easy in the last couple of years. Um, you, ju- you just see this as like, okay, let's just do all the, let's just take all the marketing services and do them all together and just get, but it just, it just doesn't work, right? Anything that I've done, everything that I've done, uh, because I've always been in the sales side and the marketing side, it, it for me, it was always aligned. That's why it's kind of like weird for me when I come into organization and I see that there's some tension between marketing and sales and they're not working together. Like how, like why, you know, why would it matter if you get all these leads, if they're not being converted, something has got to change there. You got to start from the bottom. You got to start by, you know, having like really understanding why people bought from you to start before you scale up, before you spend any money on ads. Uh, we, we get, we, we get like insane pipelines with no spending on, uh, on ads at all because, you know, because we operate through, you know, through organic channels and we operate through uh, contextual outreach where you, uh, you know, are talking to what matters to them. And because you, we, you know, we humbly ask for advice uh, and help. And then if we can help, then we offer uh, a way to do what they did currently do better. Uh, and it's, it's a very, very different approach to, hey, you know, we had just have this and, you know, try to sell it. And, you know, just think of the process, right? If you try to now start with paid ads like just the idea of paid ads is so attractive oh all i have to do is put up an ad and customers are just going to miraculously miraculously flow in you know prime to buy well no that's just it's just maybe you know 20 years ago when a click cost 12 cents you could do this but now you actually have to know your stuff you actually have to talk to whoever it is that you're trying to to bring in so doing things in the wrong order, I think, is probably one of the things that the marketing industry is not explaining properly. 
And Carissa, I think I think that the reason is that you know it takes thinking. It's much easier to set up an ad and to start the spend, right? And say, okay, let's let's let it run, and you know every week or so, let's tweak the ads a bit, play with the creatives. You know, the creatives are important, but they're only important when you know what you want to convert to. Yeah, so true. And I think it depends. Like you know, people say like, well, what marketing strategy would you employ? It's like, well, depends. How long have you been around? Do you have funding? Do you not have funding? If you're IBM, the strategy is very different to a company that literally got born yesterday. So I think that that's what people don't understand and they just follow what the big dogs are doing because they've got so much money to throw around, makes sense. But that may not be the best um, bang for buck that a startup can spend their money on. And the other thing is what I always like to go on about is like perpetuity. You've got content, it's out there. People will find it. I still have people saying, oh, I saw your content from like, years ago that you did some presentation that was really cool so that's always going to be there but when you you know you're doing these large events and stuff like that are valuable but probably valuable at the big end of town not the small end because you're just going to get wiped out by the next big guy with fancy fancy things to give away which is fine so I think it's changing the perception on how you spend those dollars and where uh, and it's not scalable after an event people if they're lucky remember one to three things and that's it so, uh, yeah, so I think like more companies can really take advantage of the fact that they're small and agile and, 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 and you know, produce, either, either produce content or, or communicate in a way that's not as polished. Uh, it's okay. Like, it's okay if you're not slick. It's not, that's not the goal. That's not what it's about. And you can really take advantage of this and, and reduce some of the constraints that you might be imposing on, you, on yourself uh, unnecessarily. Like it's okay to have, you know, a spelling error or some, you know, here or there. If you be, if like, if your production rate is really high, I think that these are great things for people to consider. I think that that's why I want to bring you on to just be honest about it. The reality of what is out there, what people can do differently. Uh, I agree with you. I think that it's not one size that fits all. People at various levels, different stages, perhaps they're more mature in their marketing and sales approach than other people as well. Um, but you are right. There is a there is a special way to do it. There's a correct cadence, timing, and a strategy behind it. So really love this chat, Asaf. Uh, really appreciate you coming on today, sharing your thoughts and your insights and your time. Brilliant. I really enjoyed this. Wonderful. And I can't wait to get you back. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.